What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, to celebrate the 100th episode of the Rewatchables podcast, Quentin Tarantino returns for the third and final movie in his three-part series with us. In the final episode, Bill Simmons and Sean Fennessy discuss with Quentin one of his favorite movies, the 1990 crime thriller King of New York. Make sure to check out this special episode and follow at the Rewatchables on Twitter for highlights of all 100 episodes. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Croissant, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin! Verno, what's going on this Friday, buddy? Well, it seems as if there was a celebration in your home last <laughs> night. <laughs> With Brandon, Brandon Ingram, Ingram, correct? Yes. Yeah, Brandon Ingram <laughs> goes for... 49, uh, a monster night as the Pelicans ended the Jazz's 10-game win streak. And you decided to do be Kevin O'Recall and call back a show that we did a couple of months ago where you boldly por- uh, proclaimed that Brandon Ingram is better than Ben Simmons. And so this was a, this was a victory lap for you last night? Sure. I mean, if you want to call it a victory lap, sure. But I, when I originally said that two months ago, I viewed it as a way of doing what we've always done when talking about players. We compare them to the guys that they were drafted against. That's no shot against Ben Simmons. He's a top 25, 30 guy. It just so happens that so is Ingram now. And I think he's a top 20 guy right now. If not top 20, definitely top 25. And like we compared Howard to a Mecca Okafor. When those guys are first drafted, we compare Wiggins to Parker to Embiid. That's all this is. And all right, Ingram, well, hold on what, now. What, okay, hold sure. on. Let me take a let me take a twenty second okay. time out. How do you respond to those that say Ingram is yes a far superior scorer, far superior, but he's also the better defender. He is the better passer, and he's the better rebounder. Simmons. It, yeah, that's what I mean. Yes, I would say this raises a philosophical question. And how do you weigh? Offense versus defense with Ingram being the far superior scorer than Simmons is and Simmons being the the better playmaker and the better defender. What do you weigh there in terms of importance? For me, when I look at Brandon Ingram, I think we can all agree Ingram is a far superior scorer. He has become a dynamic three-level scorer who can get to the rim, draw fouls, finish against length, who can pull up from mid-range. He can shoot from three off the catch or off the dribble. He is a three-level scorer. He's better. As a passer, Ingram, ever since college, ever since he was at Duke, one of the big reasons why I had him ranked number one was because of his playmaking ability. And we saw that in last night's game down the stretch with him feeding Derek Favors. The Jazz were pressuring Ingram more, forcing him to get the ball out of his hands, and he was delivering accurate passes to Favors. He's done that all season long. And when Zion comes back, he's going to be even better as a playmaker. So I think Ingram is a a better playmaker than he gets credit for. As for defense, Simmons is one of the best in the league. That's undeniable. He is a four or five position defender who at this point in his career tries consistently hard, who is smart, active off ball. There's not much more that you could want from a defensive player in today's league than what Ben Simmons brings to the floor. Ingram, 
Last year with the Lakers, he was good. This year with the Pelicans, he has not been good. He's also defending larger players this year rather than facing more wings than he did in the past couple years with the Lakers. I think with Williamson back, we're going to see Ingram's defense improve a bit. He's not great. He's solid. He hasn't shown it all this year, but I think he's solid enough that his offense outweighs not just Simmons, but a lot of guys in this league. He's an all-star. I would vote him as an all-star reserve this year. And with Williamson coming back next week on the 22nd against the Spurs, I think we're going to see these guys improve each other, maybe beyond what we expected, even in the preseason because of this real leap Ingram has made. All right. One quick thing I will tell you, Kevin, that it is not just you that value, you know, when you say value, it depends on what you value. Do you value scoring ability? It's not just you. Guess who else values scoring ability? The NBA, you know, and and I am I am a defense guy. I, I love the defenders, but I talked to I talked to Tony Allen about this weekly. Like, there's not a place for those guys right now in the league. Being great at defense is not the trait that gets you on the court anymore. And there are guys like Tony who were a little bit before like this all happened. So you still had a place in the league. During, during, and we're just talking about five, six years ago. Whereas now, and then there were guys that were a little bit before their time. Uh, like Kevin Martin would average 35 points a game now. Like the way you stopped Kevin Martin from scoring was because you put your hands on him and got tough with him, right? And guys like that with space, I mean, if he's playing now, it's a different ball game for somebody like him. And so I would just tell you, yeah. What, like, what about what about someone like Matisse Thibel? The question coming into the draft and into the season with the Sixers was, can he bring enough offensively, even though he's this all-world defensive right. player? That wouldn't even be a conversation years ago. And thankfully for Philly and thankfully for Thibel, his offense has been quite good within his role. He has been shooting the ball well, but that wouldn't even be a conversation years no, ago during, no. during the days of T.A., Oh, no. Well, look, think about all those guys, Bruce Bowen. I mean, you could go on and on of guys that made a living being great defenders. It's like, I mean, Pat Bev is like kind of the last of a dying breed, you know, and, and but, he brings you something offensively. Yeah, he it's does. not like he's he a, does. it's not like he's a net negative. It's not like you can just leave him, uh, you know, alone completely. Right. I mean, and, and he can handle the ball a bit for you. He's a good right. spot up three point shooter. But like the Andre Robertsons of the world, those guys, if he's able ever ever able to get back, the questions that were asked of him in the past, like him being an offensive liability, the league has changed a lot since he was really last healthy, right. even hey, more. I, do, I all right, and this is the other thing I wanted to ask you. I wanted to test you on this. I want to see how wild you'll get with the the Ingram thing. Okay. Uh-huh. Now let me say this off the bat. 49 last night on 25 or fewer shots. The Before turning 23 years old, there's only two guys in the history of the league that have done that, and they're Shaquille O'Neal and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So oh, wow. what, he did, what he did last night was truly spectacular, right? Like, it's just, it's very, 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 very uncommon. That being said, we know about the huge trade, and there was all kinds of guys involved. Do you think there is any chance that when the book is closed, that Brandon Ingram could have a career similar to and or on par with Anthony Davis. And before I say that, before you answer, I will tell you that if he never played another game to tomorrow, he's been a six-time All-Star, uh, All-Star game MVP, that doesn't matter, uh, three-time first-team All-NBA, NBA All-Defensive first-team, 
two-time a defensive second team. He's led the league in blocks three times. Obviously, he's, you know, he's had an outstanding career thus far. I mean, they're different types of players with Davis being a, a big and Ingram being a more... Do you think Ingram could be a six-time All-Star with yeah, yeah, multiple yes, sure. first-team All-NBA spots? Sure. Wow. I, I think the all-star aspect, the all-NBA, that's that's hard to say because, again, we're talking positions. We're talking about Davis being voted in as center or front court. Ingram will just be listed as front court. And this is, this. I don't want to get into this. This is the inherent problem with positions in all-NBA. I, I argued last year in an article that we should remove positions from all-NBA because of the actual increased probability that you have when you list a guy at both spots. But that's well, a conversation. Should, they, they, that, that's a conversation say, for a different day. Well, no, no, no. I just, uh, just real quickly, they should do it like all-star. Backcourt, frontcourt. That's it. Or why, why, why bother with either? Like, why have it at all? Like, like, where do you put LeBron? Where do you put Ben Simmons? Where do you put these big guys who handle the ball a lot and are essentially point guards for your team when they are like, what, what do you value here? Is it, is it, is the positional designation for offense only, or does it include defense? Because if it's That's defense, then fair. you might be talking about Ben Simmons as a front court player. So you think it could, it should be able to be, a, you should, you think the fr- first team should be able to be five guards. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't care. If I so think it. it doesn't matter. I think, okay. I think it should be the five best guys in the right. second, then, then six to 10 for a second team NBA, then the, then 11 to 15 for a third team. I don't think the position should matter. And I think that should be changed, especially with the way the game is today, where literally size does not indicate the way in which you are used. Well, your, the other thing is this, do. Kev. Uh, especially when, you know, you're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars on the line when these guys write it into their contracts. I mean, you remember the whole Kemba thing with Charlotte. And it was like, that was like, people were on watch. Is he going to make an all-NBA team? Because if he makes (laughs) an all-NBA team, he stands to make an extraordinary amount more, which he did, by the way. Sure, even though he left. (laughs) Yeah, right. I understand. Uh, He had the opportunity to. Let's just say that. He had the opportunity to. Um, Anyway, how wild is this? Last night in that particular game, I I told you how rare it was for what Ingram did. Also, just the fourth time in the last 10 years that two opposing players have scored 45 in the same game because it's not, you know, it it bears mentioning that Donovan Mitchell went off in that game too. this tells you about where but we'll probably see this more often. One of those was actually earlier this year in that ridiculous Rockets Wizards game where Harden had 59 and Beal had 46. But it is very rare to get guys going for 45 plus in the same game. And that did happen last night. I love seeing those guys go back and forth last night. There is a sequence towards the end of the fourth quarter where I think it was three, four possessions in a row where Ingram and Mitchell scored. Is great, and I think the streak was broken by Frank uh, Jackson uh, <laughs> on a drive to the basket. But what what a great game between Utah, a team that has found themselves lately, as we've discussed recently in the podcast, and then New Orleans, a team that is going to have Williamson back next week and is also starting to find themselves, despite some injuries with Drew Holiday, especially being out last night. It's encouraging to see the Pelicans continuing to have positive a positive trajectory forward into Zion's return because the impact he could make on this team, 
I think is quite, quite significant as I wrote about this week on the ringer. Well, let me, let me say this. And I don't want that game was almost marred because, and I don't want the jazz hive to jump on me, but that was incredible bullshit that took place at the end of that game. Oh, I know. I mean, that was point yeah, two was. seconds, and they call a foul on Jack. Point two. Yeah, that was. It, it's. It, I mean, and theoretically, th- I mean, thank God, Gobert missed one of the free throws as to send it in overtime. I mean, that would have been just wrong, just was, wrong. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Point the, the, two. Yeah. yeah. Point two. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. I mean, that, like that was gross. It was. Oh my god! And I don't give a damn what the last two minute report says. I don't care. That's wrong. That's wrong. I mean, ultimately, the team They're that should have jostling. Ultimately, the team that should have won the game did win the game, and now they find themselves three and a half back from the eight seed, your Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, and can you imagine what would have taken place? Uh, a couple, of, especially because it was just like a week and a half ago, you had Ingram driving to the basket, down two, and Gobert hacks him, and then the two minute report comes out and says Gobert hacked him. I mean, that would have been two. That were absolutely stolen from the Pelicans. Yeah. And they're, you know, I mean, look, they're scratching, clawing. And, and a lot of these uh, projections, like, you know, you look at the the formulas that are put together for playoff odds. There's a lot of them that really still like the Pelicans when they get their full roster, including Zion back. As they should. As yeah. they should. Very well uh, may should. Uh, Zion, by the way, we expected him to come back uh, possibly last night. Um and then he's not going to be back for this weekend. And then, of course, Monday, nationally televised game against the Memphis Grizzlies on Martin Luther King Day. And the Pelicans announced he is coming back on Tuesday. Come on. Are you serious? They don't want to put him on the same court with John Moran. I promise you that. <laughs> they don't want that being your first game uh, back, man. brother. No, no I sir. Think, I, I think for... New Orleans, it makes sense to bring him back on Wednesday against San Antonio rather than putting just dropping him oh. on national TV. It makes sense. W- would you want Ja to come back for the first time midseason on national TV? Or would you rather ease him in? Like, look, they're going to face Denver. I'm, I'm gonna sorry. They're going to face, hey. face San Antonio on Wednesday. Then they face Denver on Friday, two tough teams. And then on Sunday, ESPN national TV game against Boston. They're going to have him on national TV soon. I, I-, I know this. Knowing the kid. You'd have to strap him down like they tried to Hannibal Lecter. That's the oh, only way he wouldn't play. Are you I kidding mean, me, I mean, Kevin? Good, good, Look, good luck keeping Zion strapped down. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Ja. Oh, that's ja. what I'm talking. Okay. That's who I'm yeah, talking okay. about. I'm saying they'd have to strap him down to get him to not play the game. So it wouldn't matter what I want. That kid. Look, I've seen him run over to a heat bench and say, "Tell that MF my the rookie of the year is mine." Talking about Kendrick Nunn. I saw him the other night back off James Harden and say. Tell that MF he better hear about me. I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about competition? Like, you would have to – he's there for it. He, there's nothing more he would love than to be in his first game against Zion Williamson. Trust me. And I know it's, it's a Pelican decision. It's not Zion's. For God's sakes, Zion's bored out of his mind. He's falling asleep on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can't take it anymore. The guy fell asleep during the damn game in the fourth quarter. <laughs> that, that, that was pretty funny. <laughs> anybody, anybody that doesn't know what we're referring to is at the end of the Detroit game on Monday, he, 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 he could be seen on the bench just kind of dozing off. <laughs> but last night, though, he was up excited, yeah. pumping his fist, screaming, yelling. I'll tell you this, man. I, I think I think his return has been a bit underrated. And I think it's because people are afraid and understandably so are o- 
are afraid of overreacting to the small sample size of the preseason. But what he did in preseason, though, was historic stuff. 31 points per 36 minutes on 71% shooting. He was finishing like Giannis against at the rim against guys like Gobert. He had a big game against the Utah Jazz in the preseason. He was very good against Pirtle in the Spurs, his final game in the preseason. What Zion brings to this team, man, he's going to get them into the penalty more. He's going to score inside. They rank low in points of the paint. They rank low in drawn fouls. Two areas. He's going to help boost this half-court offense a ton. And as good as they, they are on the break in the open floor, they have sputtered in well, the half court for and over here's the course the, of the year. They've been better. They've been very much better in recent weeks, partially because they're finding themselves in the half court. But Zion's going to boost them even more on that end. And boy, like I'm, I'm excited to see the impact that he can make on Ingram. I'm excited to see what he can do for Lonzo and Holiday. This team has a real, real shot of making a push for that eight seed, along with Memphis and San Antonio and some of the other teams in that conversation. It's going to be a real fun race down the stretch. The reason I kind of like the Pelicans is, uh, well, all right, first on the Zion thing, uh, I see I see all these teams come through town. There's so many that go small, right? And if you're if you don't have like a formidable big guy, and you were talking about formidable big guys, like guys that have real size in the league that he has bullied, like Go there, man. The, he had oh, no fear. No fear. No. And the smaller ones, though, like there was a preseason game. Uh, I mean, God, it, it looked like my guy Ed Davis was like a, a child. You know what I mean? And I mean, when you're doing stuff like that to, to guys that are like veteran big men, <laughs> I mean, it, like unless you've got some real size in there and even then it seems not to matter. I'm with you. Look, we all thought he was a transcendent talent and I have not change that opinion at all. I can't wait to see him back. In fact, I was shocked. How about uh, that article that you just wrote about him and him coming back? I was stunned to read those numbers about the Google searches. Oh, the Google and YouTube search So, so explain that for people yeah. that did not read your article, there was, this is since injured, right? You took the data from since he's been injured, not so, like... So this, is, this, is, this will include preseason, but I'll, okay. I'll say both. So since October 1st, start of the preseason for most teams, Zion has slightly more Google web searches than Giannis Antetokounmpo and James Harden. He has more YouTube searches than Giannis and Luka Doncic. <laughs> I mean, that is unbelievable with just preseason numbers. If you're looking at regular season, it's slightly less. But the fact is, is that he's still getting web searches and YouTube searches comparable to guys that are having MVP caliber seasons despite not playing. And if you look at, if you look at the search numbers just during the preseason, what the level Zion was regist registering there, it's pretty close to what Luca and Giannis have done during the regular season. So with Zion back, I am going to be real curious to see what it looks like in terms of interest and popularity for him. Like his first game, it would not shock me at all if he's putting up LeBron-like Google and YouTube web search numbers. And the reason why I, I find that interesting is just because for the NBA, we've talked so much about ratings and we're talking about like what happens when LeBron retires, who are the guys that are representing the league, obviously Giannis and obviously Luka. But Zion always already entered the league, already entered Duke for that matter, with over a million Instagram followers, this crazy online following. He's one of those players that 
can appeal to people who love the dunks. They they love drama. They like to follow the game on social media. But I think he's going to be such a really fascinating player in the context of the league today that he's going to be real interesting to people that care about talking about the future of the game and how it's changing and how it how like a front court works with Ingram and Zion compared to Ingram and Zion and favors and how do you build the best Pelicans roster? He is he is a player that will be interesting to everybody at all extremes of basketball. And I, I think he could be a guy that really does represent this league. And I'll say this in terms of the, the, the Pelicans chances, obviously they're very good. And the reason I think they're good is because not only do they bring him back, but they got depth. You know what I mean? Like they've got some guys that they could bring off the bench that can do something. And I, and I know the Grizzlies have been the hot story right now, but, and, 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 and people, you know, the John Morant stuff, Jaron Jackson, all the, you know, Brandon Clark's been a great rookie, whatever. The reason that the Grizzlies have ran off, you know, this win streak and the reason that they've uh, been so good since like really December 9th is their bench. Their bench mauls people. Like and at Tyus Jones and DeAnthony Melton and Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, like this this group, they kill people when they're out on the court because most of these teams, you know what I mean? They're paying a couple really great players. Their bench is awful. They bring in their bench and their bench is not good players. And so the lack of depth for so many of these teams, like I, for instance, I even saw it the other night with Houston. Like there, if you go look that game that the, the the Grizzlies beat the Rockets on national television that night, they were a plus with Harden on the floor, and they got killed with Harden off the floor, and he wasn't even, and he was only off the floor for a couple of minutes. Well, I was gonna say, and Houston essentially only had a seven man rotation. Memphis went ten deep, right? And that's partially because yes. Westbrook was out, but still, fact yes. is, is that Houston has more of a a a, a shallow rotation. I mean, look, well, it's Memphis, also the thing, Memphis didn't even play Crowder that night because no, he was out. They, he they was are out. deep. And so this is the thing with the, uh, and you see it with, uh, with the Bucks, and they've got a, you know, plus 12 point differential, but it ain't just Giannis. I mean, Giannis goes to the bench. Their bench buries people. You know what I mean? And so I do think that, you know, the deeper you are, especially as the season goes on, because you can not only withstand an injury and you've got the opportunity with, a lot of these good teams or teams that have been good, they've they've had to lose, you know, key role players and guys that were just good players that maybe even came off their bench. And so they just can't even hold the fort down at all. They can't even play you even when their bench is in the game uh, against some of the better teams. Let's uh, speaking of uh, yesterday, one of those teams that's one of the seven teams that's going to be battling for the eight seed made a trade. And that was the Minnesota Timberwolves. They moved Jeff Teague uh, back to Atlanta where, I mean, that was the craziest thing ever. I'll get to this in a second. But they move him to Atlanta. It's the uh, Alan Crabb deal. Um, And I guess they got Travion Graham also uh, in that deal. But if you go back in time, it's wild the way sometimes uh, this all ends up working out, Kev. You have that... Jeff Teague, when he was originally traded from the from the Haw- or from the Hawks, it was the Hawks traded him to Indiana, right in a three team deal. Atlanta got Toreen Prince from Utah. Then the Hawks traded Prince to the Nets this offseason for Allen Crab and two first round picks, right? And then the Hawks traded Allen Crab to Minnesota for Jeff Teague. <laughs> I mean, 
it's unbelievable how that all ended up <laughs> working out. Uh, but I think the general reaction from all of us that covered the NBA was, okay, Minnesota, like they still have playoff dreams. This clearly like makes them, you know, it doesn't make them better, right? So this is for something else. This deal was made for the open roster spot and the crab salary to move somewhere else. So now we got to figure out where the somewhere else is. Well, I reported yesterday that they aren't done. They 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 are in the search for another ball handler. I know Sham Sharania um, of the Athletic reported that they are going hard after D'Angelo Russell. I would not expect that to happen, based off what I've heard in recent weeks. Why I, not? Because Minnesota doesn't have enough assets unless you're dumping a bunch of future first round picks. But even then, I think Golden State would rather wait and see what it looks like with Russell, Steph, and the backcourt together, and then reassess with the draft where you know your pick is. And maybe more options are available to flip Russell at that point if you trade him at all. What if I it's Crab, I, a Crab I, Covington, and a pick? I wouldn't expect that to happen. And, and for Minnesota, though, they are indeed, though, shopping Covington, as you said. and But they're asking for a lot. And I am not exactly sure what the next move is for Minnesota. I heard they inquired about Aaron Holiday. I heard those talks went nowhere. I do not know what's next for Minnesota, but I do think with Alan Crabb, it's interesting because he is making $18.5 million with an expiring deal. You could flip him. Theoretically, he is a guy who could be a buyout candidate at some point if he continues to struggle. However, for Minnesota, he does make you feel Covington can be a little bit more expendable if you do feel confident that Crabb could be better within your system he is a historically good three-point shooter, 39% throughout his career. He's just struggled this season. Maybe uh, you feel like he can be before, something for And you. the season before. I, uh, mean, I mean, he's, he's been a 30, long time since Alan Crabb's done anything. I know. I know. But I, I'm just saying, like, maybe you can feel a little bit better about training a wing defender like Covington, a wing 3-and-D guy with, in Covington. So for, for Minnesota, you could see them going a number of directions here. But the bottom line is they are looking for a ball handler some type of guard playmaker of some sort of size, whether it's a smaller dude or a bigger dude, they need another playmaker and that's what they're looking for. Uh, I I just don't think it'll be Russell based off what I've heard. Wow. All right. Well, you kind of shot that down, but I mean, you know, they wanted him so bad in the off season. You just think they don't have the goods to be able to put together a deal. It's both things. I think golden state, unless an offer is overwhelming, I think they would prefer to reassess during the off season when more potential deals could be out there when you have sign-and-trade possibilities, like they just did last year with the KD for Russell deal, the sign, double sign-and-trade, there's more potential deals that'll be available at that point than there would be now. Plus, you would know where your pick is and have a, an idea of your full range of options, building forward with Draymond and Steph and Clay. Right now, I think it's it's kind of they're in a standing pattern where they want to see how things go with this young team when Steph comes back and figure it out after. I think that's best for them, and my understanding is that's what they're thinking too. Unless something is so overwhelming that you do it now, it's not like D'Angelo is untradeable. You know, he's not an untouchable player, but I just don't expect that deal to be there from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, it's just hard to think. You know, like, geez, you know, where do you <laughs> like? You try to find a guard that teams would just be willing to give up on or think that has too big of a contract or isn't helping them anyway. And it's not easy to find, you know, even, uh, you know, I'm just doing a cursory look around the league in terms of something that you could like, that would 
rather have like a Covington or whatever and Crab and somebody with a big salary, right? Especially if, you know, you know Toronto's not getting off of Kyle Lowry or you know that, you know, Oklahoma City, you know, very well may not get off of Chris Paul now. Um, I don't know. They're I mean, not, we're, they're we're, not we're easy. Talk- it's not easy to come by. Yeah, we're talking about like <laughs> the DJ Augustines of the world and Corey Joseph. Right, you're talking yeah. about somebody like that, or you're looking to maybe to reacquire somebody like Derek Rose. That that's what maybe you're looking for. But all I know is that I've consistently heard since last summer that Minnesota prefers to go young. And of the guys I listed, none of them exactly makes sense. So for the Timberwolves, Russell is clearly your number one target, and it is true they have gone for him and will to continue to go for him. But I think the offer would need to be quite overwhelming for Golden State to pull the trigger on a deal now. Even if they included their first round pick, I think I think you need to give more than that at this point. I guess it just depends on how good. You I mean, think I mean, the, be. this the, this draft is not that good. Uh, so for right, Minnesota, for sure. I mean, if you slip into the eight seed and the pick is fifteen or sixteen, that pick is not much value. Nor is it much value if it's, if it's nine or ten where it is now. Uh, I I would be quite surprised if that was enough. I think you need to give more future picks couple other things we need to touch on. Uh, the Nuggets are losing Jamal Murray for some time. Now, the benefit for the Nuggets is they've got a bunch of good players, right? <laughs> As we talked about. <laughs> and, you know, they've got guys. Guys, guys who don't suck, as you yeah, said. Yeah, and they've got guys that can bring off the bench that can help get them by. But there's a difference between getting by and having a pretty good record and being able to lock down and stay up in those higher seeds because I think it is like I think this year unlike you know some of the years in the past like there is just a massive value to be able to getting that two seed I think we you know most people think that the Clippers and the Lakers will be the first and second seed but just by virtue of being two you know you wouldn't have to play the Lakers until the last round if we assume they are the hardest to play I mean it may turn out the Clippers are the hardest one to play, but I certainly would. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think this is true in both, in, in in both conferences. That whoever gets the two, you don't you don't have to see the best team until the the finals, and that there is a huge value to that. And again, it may be a little different in the West than it is in the East, but certainly staying in the two in the East might get you to get you a chance to get to the. Uh, Western Conference final or Eastern Conference finals. Whereas if you're in that four or five game, your second round, you're playing against Milwaukee, you know, with them with home court advantage. Well, I mean, and not only that, like let's say, let's say the Lakers were to get knocked off in the second round and you win the second round if you're Denver, well, then you get home court (laughs) in in the Western Conference finals. So the higher seed is of more importance anyway, whether do you, do you think the Lakers or Clippers are a tougher matchup anyway? And, and for Denver in last night's game without Jamal Murray, how nice is it to see Malik Beasley and Michael Porter Jr. perform the way they did off the bench? The team with depth and young depth and Beasley, of course, is a restricted free agent this summer and teams want him. Teams have inquired about him, including the Philadelphia 76ers. If I'm Denver and I'm seeing the way he's had big games like, like he did last night with 27 points, it's kind of hard to let go of somebody like that who can do that off your bench when you have finals aspirations. But they just haven't used him at all. I I know, and that's the tough part, man. Like, he's been averaging 16, 17 minutes per game in the last month. He doesn't play a ton. Kev, you know this. They're losing him for nothing. If they don't don't get something for him, 
I mean, unless there's some kind of a sign to trade that goes on in the offseason, you know, it stands to reason they're going to lose him for nothing. Um, well, what if that's what it was? I mean, that's what I mean. Like, there is a logic to Denver keeping Beasley. There's a logic to Oklahoma City keeping Gallinari because there's so little cap space out there. These guys may prefer to be signed and traded to a particular team. And I think that is something that could be a popular decision teams make entering the trade deadline, a popular decision for players during the offseason as oh, well. That's fascinating. You know, I, I, from what I've you heard just play it out with Bogdanovich. Yes. You play it out you, with yes. Beasley. You play exactly. it out with Joe Harris. You play it out with, you know, guys that you might get nothing in return for. But the idea that you just get totally nothing in return for, maybe we need to change our mind on that because, I mean, hell, we just saw with, we just talked about D'Angelo Russell being a warrior. He is only a warrior by virtue of KD leaving, turning into a trade. Absolutely. Yeah. And you think that could become more common? Well, and because there's so little cap space out there, there's only five or six teams that are going to have over $10 million of cap space. So right. there's limit there's limited guys that are gonna that are worth a lot of money. And for some of these guys like Malik Beasley, especially, how much would he really get from some of these teams? Is he gonna get what he expected in the high tens of millions of dollars? Well, maybe not, but he but maybe he could if a sign if a team's willing to sign and trade an expiring player for with a pick or another young player for Beasley. And and I think you open up more options if you're one of these guys. And you're open to a sign and trade. And for a team, they could benefit from that. I think the opinion around the NBA is still pretty high of Beasley. I think there are teams that are out there that think he, if given the opportunity, when given the opportunity, and when he got to play a lot last year, boy, he was awesome, Kevin. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Beasley Hive guy. I love him. I've coveted him Me too. for the Me last too. couple of years. And I yeah. think he is much better than he has shown this Me year. Me too. I'm with you. I'm with you. And also one other thing though, just on that topic, if you're Beasley, right? Right now the teams that project to have cap space are Atlanta, Memphis, New York, Cleveland, Charlotte, Portland, and Phoenix. Those are the six, seven teams that project to have money. And that could change, of course. But that's only seven teams, man. Like there's there's 22 other teams besides Denver that you may want to choose to go to. So sign-in sign trades could be a, a preferable decision for these guys. You think playing next to John Morant with Jaron Jackson oh, no, would be no, enticing? No. I, I, I know. I, I think like if I'm looking at Memphis this summer and I know like there's appeal to waiting until 2021 when there's bigger fish out there, but a lot of those bigger fish could re-sign in their markets and it could turn out that the time to strike could be in 2020 with some of the more third level guys yep. for a roster and building around your blossoming and stars and Jaron Jackson and John Morant or, or for Atlanta and Trey young. I mean, I think for a team like New York, it's worth waiting. I think for teams like that, like even for, for, for someone like Phoenix, I think this might be a time to add a guy for Portland with 18 million might be time to add a guy. Well, it's interesting too, because right. Like, so Beasley plays in this game against golden state. He ends up with 39 minutes and he gets some 27 points. As you mentioned, I mean, this season has been a absolute disaster for him because he, I mean, he's averaging seven points a game. He doesn't even, I mean, they, that, that speaks to the depth of that nuggets team. This guy doesn't even get on the course until recently. Porter jr. Didn't get on the court. Yeah. And, you, and you've seen what he's capable I mean, they got guys that don't even play that can go out there and score 25 points a, uh, in a given night. It's insane. And, and some of these teams, their benches are just awful. 
they're riddled with guys that maybe shouldn't even be in the NBA and might not next year. <laughs> Whereas Denver, they got guys that bring off their damn bench that can give you 25. It's a Crazy. nice problem to have, isn't it? Yes. Well, and <laughs> I, I mean, think as, speaks- as long as chemistry doesn't go off the rails. Well, if there was ever a team, like typically, if you say like, oh, they're going to be without uh, uh, Jamal Murray for the foreseeable future. Like, oh man, they may really fall back. But like, they just got another guy that could go out there and get them 25. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, that's just, that speaks to the job they've done there. Unbelievable job. Yeah. Seriously. Unbelievable. Because they have, just mega talent. When you got guys like Beasley and Porter collecting dust because they don't even play, good grief. I mean, those <laughs> guys could start all over the league. Seriously. Like, how many two guards would, would, would keep their position over Beasley? It ain't probably half the league, you know? And and Porter Jr., how many teams would love to plug him in? Jeez. Uh at the beginning of the season, so you got to uh, you got to do your little victory parade on the Ingram stuff last night, right? <laughs> sure, no, yeah. because it was that fun. Was... I, I had a fun time. Yeah, it was a and fun it was part thing of... to watch. Look, look, it's always fun to see young players blossom, and for Ingram, I, it's especially fun. <laughs> and it was and it was bold, right? It was a little bold for you to say that. Mine, not as much bold, but I did have a sense of victory lap yesterday. Do you know why? Tell me why, Chris. I want to hear it. Because I read the Kyrie Irving comments. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. When I said at the beginning of the season, he's going to ruin the net. I, oh my God. All right. So he comes out after the game. You know, he plays this, his return game after what was the most bizarrely reported injury I can remember. Like, I don't even, like, there was, like, I remember the week of, like, the return to Boston game which is forever ago, and it was like, it, it was in the balance whether he was going to play or not, right? And then, like a month later, he was still not playing, and I'm like, what's going on here? Um, he came back and was shot out of a cannon. He was unbelievable. And then the next game back, I guess they're one and two since he came back. Um, then he comes back, and, and he is six for 21, and they lose, and he goes to the media, and he says it is glaring that they need more pieces, and then does the uh, ho-hum, we're going to do the best with what we have now and worry about moving pieces down the line. And in the summer, you know, this is something, you know, we signed up for. Like, kind of knew I was going to be playing with a bunch of shitty players. Uh, it's like, oh boy. <laughs> and, he says, and then he says, you know, DJ, KD, GT, I guess I, Garrett Temple, he threw in there. That was nice for Garrett. Um, Spence. Karis and myself, you know, and, and and obviously, you know, everybody pounces on, well, like, hey, what about uh, Joe Harris and Jared Allen and like all these other guys that are on the team? But it is unfathomable to me that he would go to the media and say this, like, honestly, unfathomable after he just came back after a month and then him talking about how it's so glaring what else they need when, by the way, you you should be getting like one of the five best players in the league back. Let's assume he comes back from Achilles injury and is Kevin Durant again. Like you're adding Kevin Durant to the mix. Is that, is that not enough? Like you're going to be adding him, but it just, it just felt like he was shitting on people to me. It's the type of thing where even if Kyrie's hundred percent right about every single word he said, 
as a leader, I it's not the right approach to tell this to the media. It's just not because your teammates hear it, your teammates read about it, and that is not healthy for a locker room. The Nets last season had unbelievable chemistry, a team that really loved each other, bought into the system, played for each other. And this season, something's different. They're not passing the ball as much. Movement's not the same. The culture's not the same for the Brooklyn Nets. And that's that's partially because it's the team in transition, partially because their best player, Kyrie, was out, partially why, you know, KD, you know he's out for the whole season. Um, but fact is, is that for Kyrie, this was a year for him to, again, like it was in Boston, to prove himself as a leader. And he has not changed. And that's concerning moving forward when he's going to be the voice of this younger roster. I worry about that. I really, I really, really worry there about that. There are a lot the of Nets. Kyrie fans and there are a lot of Kyrie truthers out there. And let me just say this. Let me explain this to you on a human level. If let's just say you, Kevin, this is, the, 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 we're not saying that this is a, a basketball strange. This is workplace strange. It would be the equivalent of you coming on the pod and I said, hey, Kevin, you know, I heard the heard clicks are down. I heard the, you know, page, page views, they've gone down a lot. And you're like, yeah, they are. But, I mean, I've talked to Bill and, I mean, we'll just, you know, I kind of knew what I was signing up for and we're going to change some things, you know, might change some things in the summer, uh, but it's pretty glaring. You know, we need some different stuff. I mean, and then you walked into the office. People would be like, what the hell, man? Like, what? And you walk back into the locker room. Don't you think, like, if you imagine you're one of the other guys. You'd be like, bro, what? (laughs) Like, thanks. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we'll move some stuff in the offseason. Are you talking about me? Like, are you talking about me? Like, like, I'm the problem here. I mean, it's just, and, and the other thing is, sense of perspective. He went six for 21 and they lost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's different if you go, you know, 18 for 22 and you laid it all out on the line and you still came up short. Like, I actually, you know who I, you know who I empathize with? Trey Young. That's who I empathize with. This poor guy, he goes to the locker room and he's like, bro, like, I mean, when he goes to the bench, I read Kevin Pelton's thing the other day and Kevin Pelton said, (laughs) when Trey Young goes to the bench, the Hawks might as well just take a shot clock violation every time (laughs) and set set up their defense. (laughs) I mean, that's a guy that you could sit there and listen to like, man, we need some help. Because they're probably sure. all looking around going, of yeah, course. you're right, man. We need yeah. some help. Yeah, Trey, Trey can say we need some help. I think for Kyrie, he's learned a lot from Kobe and LeBron. But here's the problem. Kyrie, you're not Kobe or LeBron. Those, those guys can operate the way they did with Kobe saying Mamba mentality. You need to create conflict. LeBron always passively, aggressively talking about teammates through the media. Those guys are some of the greatest players of all time, which Kyrie Irving is not. And I think that's why it's able to work for them. But for Kyrie, no, it, it just doesn't. You're not that level of player where you can carry a team through that unnecessary adversity. And it's unfortunate because Kyrie is so good on the court and he has performed at the highest of levels as we've seen in the finals. But this really hurts him and his value as a player because of what he is to a locker room. And for the Nets, I look at their roster and it's like, they have good players, man. They have a good team. 
They do. They were good last year. They made the postseason. This year, still a lot of those same guys are there, but something's different in that locker room. The chemistry is not the same on the court, and hopefully they're able to figure things out, and hopefully it doesn't turn into a situation for them where Kyrie and Katie are demanding guys be traded for older veterans that are buddies with them, like a, like DJ having to sign them too. When Jared Allen should be playing more minutes, getting even more opportunity. I hope that isn't what's coming next summer for the Nets, um, because right now they have some talent. Last few things. Tell me about Sekou Domboya, the draft pick from the Pistons, who I know that you have, you have even conjured up a name like Siakam already on him. Yeah, so on the ringer, we did a short little minute 30 video about Seiko Dubuya, uh, the, the Pistons rookie, drafted 15th this year. He was a guy who you looked at him last year playing in France, and you're like, he's not going to be an impact player for years. But with Detroit, he scored 24 against Boston this week. He scored 16 against the Pelicans, and he just looks like a better overall player. He's putting in more consistent effort. His shot looks even smoother. His handle looks tighter. He's a guy that has clearly, clearly put in the work. And for Detroit, obviously, with Drummond maybe being traded, uh, maybe being lost in free agency for that matter, with Blake Griffin, who knows what his future looks like. It's tough times. But with Sekou performing the way he has and showing the Siakam-esque flashes that he has, it at least gives you something encouraging for a player that you might want to build around moving forward because what he's done in limited opportunities, only six games, is encouraging uh, because I don't think I couldn't have expected this this soon, and I don't think anybody could have expected him to perform the way he has this soon. So good for Detroit to have something positive to look at this season. All right, last thing. Uh, we have lamented the fact that this upcoming NBA draft has just been, you know, murdered for all intents and purposes this season with so many of the top prospects unavailable. Uh, you know, Cole Anthony's gotten hurt and James Wiseman, you know, uh, decided he didn't want to play college basketball anymore. And LaMelo Ball and RJ Hanthor were playing overseas. And now we hear, you know, and I kept saying, hey, I can't wait till the spring. And then I'll really, you know, that'll be the best gauge when they get into the even their highest uh, level games to watch an RJ Hampton because he'll look a lot different to watch a LaMelo ball and Hampton's had injuries too. Um, and now it's announced yesterday LaMelo's done. So now what do we do, Kevin? <laughs> like this is this, not only is this draft not as strong as it has been in the past, it also becomes even more difficult to evaluate. Yeah, especially somebody like LaMelo Ball playing only 12 games and those 12 games were quite a mixed bag too. Like his, his his passing ability, there's no doubt that's transcendent. Like it, it it can become transcendent if he continues getting better right now as a teenager, improving his decision making over time. The vision is there that not a lot of guys have. But some of the, the decision making, predetermining his moves on drives hurts him with his shot selection and the choices he makes. He his perimeter shooting has always been inconsistent. Is that something that's solvable for him? He does have pretty good touch on floaters. He's a pretty solid free throw shooter, so those are positive indicators, but that's never a guarantee of a guy improving his form, and he needs to find consistency with his form. There's big questions with him, despite the positives with the passing ability, and that those questions apply to so many guys 
in this draft. And I, and I kind of wonder, and I haven't done rankings yet. Like last year, I'm trying to wait until closer to the draft to actually put guys in order. I have guys in groups right now, but I wonder if in the end I will. And I wonder if others will default to a guy who's maybe a bit safer, like a Tyrese Halliburton, somebody like him. If you're going to feel like, Oh, I think this guy can be a solid player because he are, he has the passing ability and he's a smart high IQ player and he's got a better spot up jumper or maybe even someone like Isaac Okoro from Auburn. Somebody like him, he looks like a better overall, more reliable player. He's so good on defense. His shot is not great, but it's solid. He's a good decision maker. I wonder if guys like Halliburton and Okoro are going to rise up the rankings and become clear top five, six, seven guys when everybody else seems to have big question marks about what they are. Well, and here's like one of the super crazy things, Kev, is how many of these guys are we going to see in the highest level games? Because even some of those guys, like, I don't know if Anthony Edwards is going to be in the tournament. That Georgia team might not make the tournament. I mean, Obi Toppin from Dayton, you know, probably in the tournament. Uh, it'll be there. Uh, Cole Anthony, probably not. That North Carolina team sucks. Um, unless they win like the ACC tournament, I'm not sure. Uh, Ver- Vernon Carey at Duke. Even Iowa State, I just mentioned Halliburton. They're yeah. eight and eight. They're only eight and eight. <laughs> yeah, Nico Nico Mannion yeah. at, at Arizona. I mean, it's just it's bleak. A precious Achua at Memphis. I mean, it's bleak <laughs> in terms of yeah. you know so many times we get to see, and I know there are those that we didn't see in the tournament, but generally we see a lot of these guys play in very high level games. We watch DeAndre Ayton get his ass handed to him by Buffalo. We watch. Uh, you know, Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges team get knocked out by Syracuse or Marvin Bagley and that group uh, and uh, and Wendell Carter and that group playing in the NCAA tournament. It's it's kind of crazy. Like this year, like not only are there guys that aren't playing college basketball, the ones that are playing college basketball aren't on good teams. This is awful, awful <laughs> in terms of like going to – like, you know, say like a, a, like one of these conference tournaments or one of these pods and thinking you're seeing a bunch of NBA prospects, like you're probably not this year. It, it reminds me of the 2013 draft in the sense that there was some solid talent and there could be some surprises in the draft. Of course, that year, Anthony Bennett going number one. It could be that type of year where there are going to be some good players that come out of the draft because as there always are. It's just a matter of finding those guys and targeting those guys because there's always talent. So it's a matter of projecting forward and making calculated decisions. And that's where I kind of look at someone like a Halliburton or Okoro or even to an extent, someone like Killian Hayes, overseas prospect, 18 years old, playing in Germany this year. To me, he's he's going to be a solid player. It's just a matter of figuring out what his ceiling is. And it's that type of year where there's some talent out there, but a lot of guys with question marks and they're going to, there's going to be good players and it's going to be fun to talk about the draft as it always is. I, I look forward to publishing my NBA draft guide before the draft again this year on the ringer. Um, but there's no top end clear number one guy, which is a little unusual compared to past years, what we've been used to. And I know you've mentioned the Halliburton kid a couple of different times uh, on these pods. I mean, I went to, to go look up the other day. Um, I mean, just to see, like, hey, what has he done against the best teams? And they had just played a game against Kansas, and, I mean, it was a debacle for him. But, I mean, his numbers are are very good. His numbers are very good. But, I mean, they just – they played Kansas. I mean, they played Baylor 
recently, and he had like six points. Yep. And you know, and then they played, and, and uh, that's concerning. And that mm-hmm. Kansas game, he was, you know, it's five points. I mean, five points playing against Kansas. So I mean, like the two best teams he's played recently have been very poor performances. I'm not saying that that's. And he you know. shot a combined three for 14 from three in those two games. Yeah, he's, it's rough. He, he's a guy who his three-point shot, the numbers are good, 43% from last year from three, 40% this year from three. He's gotten remarkably better as a ball handler. His passing has been unleashed. I think with Halliburton, you're looking at a guy who is such a smart player and a guy who has improved from year one to year two in college that you're projecting forward as him being a real solid high end role player. I think like I look at him like the way I looked at Malcolm Brogdon, just a guy, you know, he's going to be solid. Well, maybe you, and, and, and this draft that may be just what you try to go for is those guys that I typically write about, like, you know, the guys that won't fail, but I mean, like seriously, like, Oh, Obi Toppin or Topin, uh, you know, I mean, he's on a very good Dayton team. So like, maybe we can watch him, <laughs> but, but, you know we, what you just said and what what I mentioned as well. It's like, yes, you do want to have a guy who's solid, but at the same time, it's like rookie salaries are they're cheaper. You know, if you can get a role player, if you can get a guy at four or five million dollars. But do you want to be investing nine million dollars in Halliburton as a rookie with the number one pick? No, you're going to take a swing. I, I think that's why. Like, like if you're investing that much money into a player, I think maybe that's why one of the reasons why you're going to take a swing higher in the draft because of the fact is like if you're paying a guy who has higher upside than somebody else, that's great. But Halliburton at $9 million as a rookie might feel like a bit much if you don't feel like the upside is there. Well, I'll tell you this, Kev, you do wonder, and I'd have to go back and look, but if there are some of those guys, I, I never... I never fault anyone for going and pursuing their dream and then getting paid to do it, right? But you do wonder if there are some guys that would have really benefited by deciding to go back this year because of how much they would have stood out, right? I mean, because guys that that got drafted a little bit lower in the first round or maybe even in the second round, that if they would have come back, this would be the year to be a draft prospect. That's because such a risk, though. That's I, such I a get risk. It. You I get, get it. hurt, and you don't know what Sometimes happens. the risk pays off, though, big time. It you can. Sure. I mean, imagine, imagine somebody like, I don't know, Darius Garland. Granted, he went fifth, which is great, but if he did go back last year to Vanderbilt and he killed it, maybe we'd be talking about him as the number one pick. If Cam Reddish went back and he was the guy there, I mean, maybe we're having a different conversation about him as a as a prospect entering the draft, or maybe he would have stunk. And maybe instead of going 10th, he could end up going 25th. And that's ultimately the big risk that some of these guys do take when they go back. I agree. No, I, I, I totally believe that to be true. Also, right. That there is, there is a risk in that. I'm just saying, you look at this draft, just being good and playing on a good team would at least put you in front of everybody all the time and you'd be you'd stand out like a sore thumb. <laughs> because, because we can't even watch any of these other guys. At least if you went for 30 in the tournament, we could fall in love with you. Yeah, what, <laughs> the other the, my other option is falling in love with 12 games on YouTube. You know, of some dude. And that's that's a tough eval. <laughs> that's for sure. This is a weird draft, man. Like like that's the bottom line. It's a weird draft and I look forward to actually putting together my rankings. Uh, I, I'm not there yet. I I, I want to wait, 
But I, I feel like this year, if you look at like what I do or what Gavoni does at ESPN, or you look at what like all uh, so many of the draft nicks on Twitter do, I feel like people are going to have drastically different rankings, which is going to reflect what it's like every single year in the league. Every single year, there's no consensus from executive to executive, from GM to GM. And I think that's going to be reflected this year with public rankings, I hope. I hope there's not a consensus because there sure as hell is not a consensus in the league. I agree with you. I think it'll make for a fun draft, too, where people don't have as super strong opinions, you know. Uh, Kevin, have a unbelievable weekend, and I will talk to you on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks to everybody for listening again. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing the show. If you did what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps, and we will talk to you next week. Next week.